this is Arthur, that is Isaac, continuing on with our special series, 007 and Counting, where we count down uh, the, the films of the Daniel Craig era, leading up to the release of No Time to Die, which, uh, where are we with this, November 25th? As of this recording, we're still on November 25th, and mm. that is what we hope for. If you listen to the main show episode that came out a week ago by the time you guys hear this um you'll hear you know that we are still very hopeful that november 25th is going to happen and that we are you know we discussed the the most recent no time to die trailer during our last main show um so yeah we're, we're still hopeful that's going to be november 25th so we've restarted the uh 007 and counting countdown start restarted the clock and you know in anticipation so we're really doing our mad unreal deep dive into the Craig era films to get ready for, uh, for no time to die, which hopefully is going to be one of the best, not only the one of the best of the Craig films, but one of the best of the entire series. Mm. That is where our fingers are crossed for. All right. With this episode, we are going to review, we're going to continue our review, uh, of the Daniel Craig movies, Daniel Craig era bond films with quantum of solace. The second film, um, starring Daniel Craig, released in uh, late 2008, um, November 14th, 2008, in the U.S., a little bit earlier uh, in London and the rest of the United Kingdom. Um, Did you see this? Because this was one of the midnight, mm-hmm. remember we used to do those midnight movies um, way yeah. back in the day? Me, you, the whole crew would just go to the midnight films when a big, big movie would drop. Did you? See, I, I, I remember seeing this the midnight film were you with us on that on that one or no do you remember when was spider-man 3 yeah i wasn't i was not okay so spider-man 3 <laughs> killed the whole midnight movie thing yeah <laughs> it I was, was like not. after that debacle that was like the last time we ever did a midnight movie so was spider-man 3 before that it was before 2008 yeah yeah okay. yeah it so was some it of us uh, t- spider-man 3 was 2007 Okay, so some of us kind of hung in there, came back the next year for the Bond Midnight movie, but for the most part, Spider-Man 3 just put the kibosh on our whole... Yeah. Because that yeah. was like... Joy and I tapped yeah. out. It was like, nah, let's just... <laughs> we should yeah. do an episode on that, man. We should do an episode on that whole experience, because that was, that was one for the books. <laughs> that was one that, for the books. Yeah, that certainly um, was. That was a long night. <laughs> Quantum of Solace, uh, much better than Spider-Man 3, yes. um, did pretty well for itself, too, at the box office. Uh, it was highly anticipated because of the success of Casino Royale, Craig's first Bond film, which did $600 million at the box office. And uh, Quantum of Solace managed to squeeze out uh, into the high fives, I believe, $580, million mm. at the box office worldwide. That was worldwide or domestic? Uh, appears to be worldwide. Okay. So I think, so, okay. So we, you know, just to, just to kind of refresh you guys, how we're going to break this down. So we have what, one, two, three, four, five mad and real sections, um, that we're looking at these films through. So, uh, mad facts where we kind of look at, you know, the state of the James Bond franchise, um, Mm -hmm. prior to the release of this film or of the film that we're talking about. Um, then we dive into the pre-titles and the song, give our thoughts on that. Uh, then rated Bond, where we basically kind of rate, you know, how Bond, the character himself, um, how our thoughts around him in this film, um, in the context of this film, as, as opposed to the context of other films. 
Um, and then uh, women versus villain. So we, it gives us the opportunity to look at the Bond women of this film and the villains, villain or villains of this film and kind of, you know, break each one down, but then kind of pit them against each other and say, okay, who do we prefer? You know, the Bond women or the Bond villain in this film. Uh, then the last section is any last words um, where we kind of any last words, Mr. Bond, where we kind of get into the moment where we can kind of, you know, express any other thoughts we have about the film that we didn't previously express. And then, of course, the bonus section, Q&A, mm. um, mm. a.k.a. Question and Arthur. Um, where AKA I'm, it's, Arthur it's, gets them all right. It's Arthur trivia. And since Arthur was so cocky and arrogant, like just wait. Just, he was just Wait. so uncharacteristically Arthur. I mean, you know what? To be honest, man, you do have a little bit of uh, arrogance about it, a little bit of cockiness into you. It's, it's I'm just sw- saying, I, swag, I should be able to know? promote. I should be able to promote myself. Got <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I'm just saying, if somebody who didn't know you, they probably see you say that. You know, he's 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 probably a very humble person, but you do have a little bit of swag <laughs> to you. And I think it's the whole Chicago <laughs> Oakland thing. That's what I think it is, and um, I think that's where it comes from. So. You were a little, little, little cocky on the last. So I just want to warn you in advance that I've come with much double harder down. questions. Yeah, you double down. Um, <laughs> yeah, so we we're gonna see how closely you were paying attention to Quantum of Solace. Um, not super hard, but yeah, but you know, harder than before. So, all right. So, yeah. what's the first section where we're gonna dive into? You kind of already said well, Matt, you kind of started, I think. Yeah, Mad Facts, and we got into a little bit of Mad Facts with the performance of Quantum of Solace. Um, the state of the Bond franchise at this time was. Um, optimistic to say to say the least um the downside though is that quantum of solace suffered from a a writer's guild strike that took place uh november of 2007 right shortly after filming began Mm, yeah i mean going i mean you know going into this movie you know there was just so much hype because Mm -hmm. Casino Royale had done so well. Not only had Casino Royale done so well, it took everybody by surprise. It just all the naysayers, everyone who, you know, had who was done with the franchise after um, Die Another Day, everyone yeah. who, when they looked at Daniel Craig, you know, when he was introduced as the new Bond, everyone who kind of like, um, for lack of a better term, shat all over that, you know, what I'm saying yeah. all over that yeah. idea. Um, yeah. You know, that, you know, for the movie to do so well and just really kind of, I hate to use this term, but to reboot, you know, the franchise mm-hmm. or re- mm-hmm. reignite it, you know, to, to reignite interest in it, not just from Bond fans, but from, you know, casual moviegoers, um, the stakes were very high for Quantum of Solace. So there was a lot of eyes on this film and it was on Eon. The pressure was on Eon to deliver on the promise that they made with um, with Casino Royale. So I think that, for me, and I think for a lot of people, the atmosphere leading up to this film was just of highly, highly charged anticipation. Um, mm-hmm. You know, reading every little article, watching every clip, you know, any type of behind the scenes stuff, every trailer. Um, There's just a lot of build up towards this. Do you remember in your mind? Can you go back and think? Do you, you know, were you, was your anticipation, where was your anticipation level at um, prior to this movie? Oh, yeah. Well, I was very excited to see to see uh, the next film. Um, mm-hmm. I do remember, though, that I was a little leery of um, Casino Royale. I'm sorry. I was very leery with Quantum of Solace not being based on an Ian Fleming mm-hmm. novel mm-hmm. and being an original, uh, you know, an original 
story, and not because there hadn't been precedent. There, you know, uh, there have been other Bond films that were you know original story ideas, but it was because it was kind of like you know a Casino Royale did so well, and it mm-hmm. was like a core, almost retro kind of release. Right. Where it went back right. to the origins of Bond, and now we were going to kind of take him, you know, to the next step. And I really did think that it was going to, you know, follow a more, um, a path more representative of uh, Fleming's work. Yeah, that's that's a really good point. I hadn't thought about that for the first film in Craig's tenure to be so Fleming-esque. You know, yeah. um, and then for them to the second film basically uses a Fleming title from a short mm-hmm. story, but then has nothing. You know, there's no there's nothing of Fleming in it. That's that's a good point. I hadn't thought about that. I guess in retrospect, thinking about it now, that was that was a pretty risky, you know, move for them. So let me ask you if this did continue, let's say Quantum of Solace did kind of follow the whole Fleming esque vibe of Casino Royale and they actually went deep into Fleming again on the second movie. Could you? I mean, have you ever even given any thoughts like what that film would have been? Would it have been like a remake of, I don't know, one of the earlier Connery films? Would it I know that because you kind of run into that wall, right, where you ultimately mm-hmm. have to remake. Um, I can't remember to say, but I do believe that it was more, you know, it was more of like not a red flag, but just like okay, this is, uh, I I hope I'm going to enjoy it. Mm-hmm. And I do remember when I first saw the film, walking away from it, I felt really uneven. Mm. Um, it's it, it's it's one of the, if not the shortest I running think it time is, I think it is the ever shortest. in yeah. a Bond in the Bond franchise. Mm-hmm. And it felt like that. It felt like it really did feel like, wait, that's it. And <laughs> right. I, I'm pretty sure that it didn't dawn on me that because of the writer strike that this film, at least its story, was kind of patchworked together. And I know we'll get to that maybe a little bit later. But, mm. you know, walking away from Quantum of Solace, it, I, I did feel let down mm-hmm. by mm-hmm. it. Okay, yeah, we will get into that. So let me, but let me say this, though, before we get into the next section of pre-titles and song, one thing that did get me hyped, you know, because I, I, I think you make a great point about you know, them stepping away from the Fleming material Mm -hmm. and and kind of Mm -hmm. what that does for people in their anticipation. But one thing that got me hyped, I can remember is when it was revealed that, okay, before, even before quantum came out, it was revealed that this movie is going to be a direct sequel to Casino Royale. And not only is it going to be a direct sequel, it's going to pick up like minutes after Casino Mm -hmm. Royale ended. Mm -hmm. And so we've had, arguably we've had a direct sequel or maybe sequels to films before within the Bond series is widely kind of believed that, you know, uh, From Russia With Love is a direct sequel to Dr. No, because Mm -hmm. Spectre goes after Bond because he killed, you know, Dr. No. Um, Mm -hmm. They they hope that Bond is the agent that MI6 sends um, to help them, you know, to, 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 foil Spectre's plans because Spectre also wants to kill Bond for what he did in Dr. No. So mm-hmm. that's happened before, but this got me hyped because it was like, wait a minute, this is going to pick up minutes after Casino Royale. Casino Royale has one of the greatest endings in all of the entire, the entire yeah. franchise, you know? So you see just for you guys, um, by the way, if you haven't heard the previous uh, episode of 007 and counting where we broke down Casino Royale, definitely go check that out. But at the end of Casino Royale, you do get that moment where Bond essentially becomes 
Bond where he, you know, the theme song plays, he does the whole Bond James Bond line. Um, mm-hmm. and he's, you know, he's, 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 he's shot Mr. White. And so that's yeah. a great ending. Um, yeah, it's really the first time you see him in like classic Bond mode. Right. Vest, everything. Tailored suit. Exactly. Yeah. Gloves, so, massive weapon. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, he's, Big, yeah, right. Exactly. And so the, the gentleman, the gentleman killer basically is how he looks. Um, mm-hmm. and that, you know, that ending to when you, when, when I and a bunch of other people found out, Oh, wait a minute, the next film is going to begin right after that moment. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. It was like, okay, cool. Mm-hmm. Um, so that got me hyped. So that, to, okay. So that was kind of the, the, you know, I guess the atmosphere surrounding this movie, um, before mm-hmm. it came out, um, this was essentially, this was the reawakening of bond within pop culture. You know, it was, mm-hmm. it was, um, because you can't underestimate the damage that Die Another Day did. And then you can't underestimate the damage that I think it was four years, you know, in between those films, between Die Another Day and Casino Royale, um, which was a long time back then, you know, say, for, to go yeah. between movies. Um, so what Casino Royale did that, you know, that reigniting of the Bond um, mythology or the Bond empire within the the, the public consciousness um, that put a lot of pressure on Quantum of Solace to, to, you know, to carry that, that uh, to carry that on. So pre-titles and song, what did you think about um, the pre-title sequence? Well, overall, and I, I, you know, it's, it was, it's, it's all very forgettable. And I really feel bad saying that because I know that there is a lot of work that's put into, you know, these opening sequences. And well, uh, wait a minute, I'm, I'm um, sorry. But before, boy, let me ask you this though. Before we get into the actual titles though, the pre-title sequence, with, you know, oh my bad. Actual titles, yeah. Let me ask you the the pre title sequence, because when you said it was forgettable, I'm like, whoa, that that was forgettable. Yeah, so, I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm sorry. Rewind. So let me deal with that, that. before you okay. go to the titles. Yeah, let's the pre title right. sequence. The pre title sequence. That's something that I actually wanted to do in my real life. Like I've always wanted to, because every while, every now and then, you've wanted to put somebody in your trunk, right? <laughs> I have a list of people actually I like to throw okay. in the truck and just drop okay. them off in certain, so, certain so you know <laughs> you got your guy in a trunk mm-hmm. and you are racing in an Aston Martin <laughs> being pursued by his homies right <laughs> mm-hmm. always wanted to do that but mm-hmm. I love car sequence car chase sequences mm-hmm. um I've even though I've never seen uh Steve McQueen's bullet and that's supposed to be the bar of excellence Oh, in car chase sequences, I never think, seen it. Have we have we talked about that on this show? We have talked about okay. it. We have talked right. about you it. Still haven't watched it. All right, all right. Okay. I still we'll haven't watched it. But okay. my high is the first car chase sequence in Ronin, in De Niro's Ronin, mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. Audis. Right. Okay. Mm-hmm. This one is a close second. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, Craig is. I mean, he is 316. He's in traffic. He's lost his driver door. He got cats shooting at him. Mm-hmm. It's just a lot of stuff going on. And what I did like that I'd never seen in a Bond film was like just from go, you really did jump from the end of Casino Royale when he when he when he shoots White to what 15 minutes later Mm -hmm. 20 minutes later and now it's a high you know it's a high speed pursuit right yeah i think for me when i when i was you know again going into the theater i was highly anticipating the fact that yeah it was going to be just a few minutes later 
and that and the sequence didn't disappoint me. Um, yeah, it, that 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 opening shot with the mountain, you know, you see mm-hmm. that. I don't. I forget the name. I used to, at one point I knew the name of that that mountain and that road, um, that part of Italy where it's at. Uh, but it just it doesn't come to mind right now. But when you see that opening shot of that mountain and it's zooming in and you feel the music starts to rise. Oh, by the way, one of the greatest scores, period, of any of the Bond films, David Arnold's Quantum Solid score. Excellent, excellent, excellent. Mm-hmm. So you hear the music start to rise, almost like it's rising from the water. And then you're zooming in at the same time and you start to see little flicks of imagery. You know, you start to see the side of the Aston Martin, just kind of like a flash of it. You start yeah. to see, you know, uh, bullets being loaded into uh, to a magazine or to the side of the gun. Then you see uh, uh, Craig's eyes, you know, the intensity of his eyes as he's watching the road. Wow. You know, and it all builds up and then the music, dun, 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 and then, you know, you hear the cars mm-hmm. and you're in the middle of this incredible car chase. Um, it definitely was. I thought I thought it was a great opening sequence. Um now, the other part about that, though, is that this is the first hint of something that's going to plague this movie throughout the rest of the film is the editing style. Um, I've seen Quantum of Solace enough that I can actually watch it and not get dizzy, you know, because I've seen it enough. Mm. I know everything is going on. Mm-hmm. But just putting myself in the first and back into that first viewing, I like pretty much everyone else was kind of dizzy and kind of like okay why is the editing why what's with this quick, yeah you know this style of editing it was just very very yeah. kind of um haphazard it felt and you know at the like you mentioned the car being torn off the side of the aston martin um it's very easy for people who first saw that not to know what the hell happened like why is this car torn on you know it's like what you know mm-hmm. how did that occur um, who's in front, you know, where is, you know, the pacing of it, you know, it's kind of hard to keep track of where the cars are. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very, mm-hmm. very rapid fire kind of haphazard, you know, editing, which is, it happens throughout the movie, but overall I'm with you. I, I really enjoyed the title sequence. I thought it was a, gar- a great car chase. Um, I like Craig, how he, how, how bond, I should say, maintained his cool throughout the entire, you know, all, everything was going on. It was highly Mm -hmm, just mm -hmm. all types of shit was just happening at the same time. And he never looked frazzled, you know, which I thought was really cool. Um, I did like the, go ahead, go ahead. ahead. No, I liked, I I, I liked the jump cuts to him, uh, working the clutch, working, Mm -hmm. working his manual shift. Mm -hmm. Um, that had a certain tactile, feel to it and how he was driving and Mm -hmm. i think it informed the tension even though he looked composed you Mm -hmm. know it was a very tense situation Mm -hmm. that he was in to say the least yeah i like that i like that too um one note though when he opens the trunk um which i didn't mind the line um you know time to get out i thought that was i thought that was very understated excuse me cool line considering the circumstances you know, you look down in the trunk and you see Mr. White and he just mm-hmm. looks, Mr. White just looks like, you know, appropriately frazzled for having been in the car in the trunk for that amount of time during what was going on. But the one thing man, is that I, Craig was wearing, or Bond was wearing a vest at the end of Casino Royale. Um, yeah. He's not wearing a vest or a waistcoat, as they say in the UK. He's, you know, what, what happened? <laughs> you know, oh like, man, I did not miss that piece of continuity. You know, it's like, what, you know, where was the continuity person on that? You know, that was an easy yeah. call. That was easy. That, you know, are we supposed to believe that he was, I don't even know if he's wearing the same suit. I haven't, I haven't really paid 
close attention. I hope it's the same suit. I hope they wouldn't. Right. It makes me wonder now. Yeah. Is it like, okay, he shot Mr. White, threw him in the trunk, and then changed his clothes real quick. You know, it's like. Because if anything what? else, he, he wouldn't have had his jacket on. He would have just had the, you know, shirt right. sleeves and the, and the right. waistcoat. Right. Exactly. So that was kind of, that was kind of, but I'm willing to let hmm. that go. Okay. So mm-hmm. then we get into the title sequence in the song. So you, 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 you mentioned earlier that you did not like this title sequence. Was it mainly because of the, it felt very familiar or was it because of just like the style or the, the aesthetic of it or the design? What was it? I think the, the, the opening sequence to Casino Royale was so creative um, that this one kind of, it paled a little bit in comparison. And maybe mm. that wasn't its own fault because, you know, Casino Royale set such a high bar, mm. you know, and Quantum couldn't, it's not fair to expect Quantum to meet each one of those parts of that bar, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. But um, I did feel like, you know, I'd seen it before, you know, it's so it, it right away, it kind of reminded me of for your eyes only for some mm-hmm. reason. Yeah. I, um, I can't remember the, the name of the, um, the title I'm, 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 I'm blanking out, but I can't remember the name of the, the, uh, the guy who usually does the title sequences for bond had done so many of them at that point. Um, but I do know that this was done by, I think it was a MK one, two, or it was done by someone who was not him, you know? And it was like, you, <laughs> uh-huh. you immediately felt like, Oh, this is not the same, you know, um, level or quality. Now that said, I actually didn't mind the title sequence. Um, hmm. I did, I, you know, it's not up to par. Uh, you know, I admit that, but I did something about the women rising from the sand, especially the one who I think was supposed to be, or mirror Camille, um, mirror mm-hmm. Olga Karolinko's character. Um, I liked it, you know, and I, I, mm-hmm. I just felt, you know, him moving that sand and kind of the bodies of the women kind of slowly coming up. Um, was it as good as Casino Royale or Skyfall? Nah, not even close, but um, I liked it. What did you think about the song? What did you think also about Jack White's song? Forgettable. And I, I, I'm a, I'm a Jack White fan. Mm-hmm. Um, I was looking forward to the idea of Amy Winehouse doing the theme, which was supposed to happen. She and Mark Ronson had, I mean, for me, it should have been Amy and Salam Remy, but that's a whole nother conversation <laughs> and a whole nother podcast. But right. um, <laughs> the idea of the Amy Winehouse doing, um, doing not just a Bond theme, but the Bond theme for the sequel to Casino Royale, which was in effect the reboot of classic retro Bond, you know, mm. I think Amy would have brought that style, that that the mm. same kind of vibe to mm. it, you know, to an opening title. Um, this one, though, um, Jack White with Alicia Keys. Um, my understanding is that they did collaborate on this. But it's it kind of sounds like they were in two different places. You know, it sounds like, you know, Mm -hmm. Jack White, you know, did the music, did his vocal, you know, and then sent references to Alicia Keys (laughs) so that she could add, you know, her parts to it. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, she plays piano. They're they're They are recording uh, uh, at White Studio Mm -hmm. and it did well as a single in several European countries. Um, not so much in the States, but, um, yeah, I mean, yeah. It's, <laughs> it was all right. 
Is that how you felt? Right. It was all right. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. It, yeah. And I, I, I guess, I guess maybe it's, it's the, it was the chemistry between the two. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know what I mean. I want to be, you know, I, it's like, I, you know, I want to be fair to all parties involved, right? Because I don't think anybody, the, the sequence itself, and the artisans behind that, you know. Or white and keys. I don't think anybody phoned it in. You don't really phone it in when you're doing when you're doing Bond, particularly mm-hmm. if you're doing the opening. You know what I'm saying? Because it's so iconic. It's a part of the DNA of a Bond picture. Right. Um, but it's just uh, it just missed to me. Yeah, I think you know I, I like the groove of the song. I like the the spirit of the song. That you know I just feel like it really it grabbed me. You know at the the, mm-hmm. the groove and the kind of instrument. But then I feel like this song overall is something that Jack White wrote and produced, but somebody else should have sang. Like somebody, he should have had somebody else sing this song. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm not even saying it needs to be a duet. It could have been one other singer. It didn't need to be two two other singers. Um, but I share your opinion and the fact that there was, there didn't seem to be any chemistry between him and Alicia Keys on this track. Um, yeah. And it didn't, it felt, the song felt Bondian to me in the sense of, you know, that, it, it had a little funk to it, you know, had a little soul to it, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. reminiscent, mm-hmm. going back to maybe Paul McCartney's uh, uh, track, mm-hmm. or, um, you know, so it was like a pop song with a little funk, um, not not necessarily the soulfulness of a Shirley Bassey song, not nowhere near that, yeah. but maybe yeah. that, you know, maybe that Paul McCartney type of, you know, um, pop funk or pop, not pop funk, funk is the wrong term, pop, um, just a little soul, you know, just a little soulful, soulfulness mm-hmm. to it. Which, you know, Jack White, from what I understand, you you know a lot more about his music than I do. But from what I understand, he's done that a lot, you know, in his, with his catalog. Um, but, yeah, so I, I feel like the song would have been better performed by someone else. Um, and I think he should have handed that off. But it did, you know, it, it did have that kind of kick to it that, you know, we got two songs with kick to it. We got the the wonderful, um, you know, my Chris name, Cornell. Casino Royale, Chris Cornell song. Uh-huh. But then we get this one and it's, not, it's nowhere near that, you know, you know, my name's level, but it is, it does have a little kick to it. And then mm-hmm. the next two songs we get, um, we, which we'll get to in Skyfall Inspector, um, regardless of what you think about them, they're not upbeat, you know, kick you in your chest type jams, you know? So Now, yeah. interesting, I, I kind of feel the reverse is true and where I feel that someone else should have done the music you know, but you would still have White's vocal mm-hmm. and it it never could have happened because this song was actually released two years later. But um, the producer Danger Mouse and the composer uh, Daniel uh, Lupi mm-hmm. did an album called Rome, which was an imaginary film score. Mm-hmm. White appeared as one vocalist. Nora Jones appeared on another series of songs they weren't duets but i'm just saying this was this concept album Hmm. jack white did a song called two against one and given the storyline and the feel of quantum of solace uh you know it spoke to the premise of bond's disposition going into this film and where where bond feels like it's it's not just him against the world but it's him against him and the world you know what i'm saying Make no mistake, I don't do anything for free I keep my enemies closer than my mirror ever gets to me And if you think that there is shelter in this attitude Where do you feel the warmth of my gratitude? I get the feeling that it's two against one Already fighting me, so 
lyrically, it felt very um, in touch with the narrative of Quantum Solace. Yeah, what about the bond? Really did, did. did it by chance have a bonding feel in terms of sound? Or is that too much to ask for, too much to hope for? Could you bond it up? Mm, you know, yeah, I, think, like, yeah, I think so. Yeah, that's I think what I'm so. asking. Yeah. But it's a much more, it's a much more, and this is kind of how I feel about Quantum of Solace overall, but it had a much more sort of intimate feel to it. And we, and we know, we've talked about how Bond huge scopes to mm. these films, both on location and action. Like everything is sort of over the top. Quantum of Solace still kept that epic feel, but mm. it just seemed a little more insular. Yeah, it's because a little of, Yeah, because of the things that happen. Bond's relationship with Mathis, Bond's relationship with, with the ghost of Vesper, Bond's relationship with M, mm. you know? That's and I think a- that this song kind of spoke more to that as a theme to kind of mm. tie off Hmm. you know tie off that opening opening sequence and i I think that's a good way to for us to segue into the next section the rated bond section to talk about how we feel how bond himself you know uh was in this film you know our thoughts on the portrayal of bond in this film and you know um how he performed you know as 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 a spy and as a um um all the bondian tropes so i think what you just said though the insular feel of this movie I think it's it's really I think the bond we get in this film in this film has a very um, almost like, you know what? There was, you know, Mm. after On Her Majesty's Secret Service, uh, we know Lazenby didn't show up to do the next film. You know, he he was. But when they thought that maybe there was a chance of Lazenby doing a film after On Her Majesty's Secret Service, um, if it would have been, you know, Diamonds Are Forever, Mm -hmm. there was the thought. And I don't know if I don't think there's ever a script written. But there was the thought that he would be a much more morose um, James Bond, a, you know, drowning his sorrows in his drinks, you know, angry mm-hmm. out for revenge. Essentially mm-hmm. what we got in Quantum of Solace, you know, and mm-hmm. I feel like that portrayal of Bond is something we hadn't seen before. And it was something I don't know. I think a lot of people reacted negatively to it, but I'm with you. I like the I like that insular feel. I like the quietness of it. You know, yeah. it gave us some time to kind of really kind of you know his emotions were churning um his 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 anger was you know kind of simmering and we got to kind of you know settle into that with him um and i i dug it I, that's something i liked about it what what did you what were some of your thoughts though about bond as he has he as he um was portrayed or kind of was you know came to life within this film well i did appreciate the continuity of craig's performance that you know we're not I mean, we can't be more than a month at best from uh, Vesper's, you know, effective suicide mm. right in front of his eyes, you mm-hmm. know. And um, the way that Bond is compartmentalizing his, or attempting to compartmentalizing his feelings, while at the same time um, not wanting to, he doesn't want to be consoled, he doesn't want to try to understand. You know, M tells him, you know, that girl, you know, she she died for you. He ain't trying to hear all that. You right. know, he needs to be the victim. He needs to be the one that was wronged because that drives him. And um, right. Because Mathis I, has that whole conversation with him. That was Mathis's point. Yeah. Like, you know, she you know, she died for you um blah blah and, and he was like no you know or she i believe mathis says you know she really loved you 
And right. Bond's response right. is Mathis to your point. Says that. Yeah. Yeah, to, but to your point, it's Bond's response is, um, yeah, she loved me right up until the moment she betrayed me. So to right. your point, it's like he has to be in that zone, he, that anger. You know, he can't let let go of that anger at first. And then it's M who says to him, can I trust you? Because, you know, you'd be a pretty cold bastard if you didn't want revenge for the death of someone you love. And Bond's yeah. like, well, she didn't matter, you know? Yeah, because, yeah, like M is telling, M is showing him some of the personal effects that they had found, you know, and mm. you see that Bond, he palms the picture of Vesper and the boyfriend mm. and... It's it's interesting because and I think I think we touched on this a little bit in uh, Casino Royale, but, you know, you see this this maternal relationship that he's developing with him. You know, mm-hmm. later in the film, he even says to Camille when he's talking about, you know, I'm I'm after somebody who tried to kill somebody, you know, that I care about. He's mm-hmm. referring to him, you know, and Camille right. asks her, is it, is it your mother? And he says, no, but sometimes she feels that she is. You know? <laughs> right, right. But I do think that that being able to keep that continuity of of rage, arrogance, cockiness, I'm right, everyone else is wrong, you need to let me protect you because I'm out for you. You know, it's like this. Yeah. And also disassociation right. with people, as we saw with um, Fields, mm-hmm. the agent Fields. Mm-hmm. And I know we'll get to that, but. Yeah, no, I mean, I, th- I think this is a good time to talk about that. The, his his connections to the different people in the films, I think you re- you're bringing up really good points. His connection to Mathis um, and the, mm-hmm. the, the denial that he displays to Mathis, the denial that he displays to M. Um, Camille, Camille, I think, is, she gets under his skin a little bit, not because of any physical attraction, although I'm sure he is physically attracted to her she gets under his skin because she's going through a very similar circumstance. You know, she lost her mm-hmm. entire family. Mm-hmm. And that moment when she says, you know, um, Oh, you lost someone too. And he's like, yeah. And she's like, well, let me know how it feels, you know, when you get them. I think yeah. in that moment he realizes, you know, he can't really hide from her or disassociate from her or show, show diso- disassociation to her because she does, she's not buying it. You know what I'm saying? It's yeah. like, she knows, no, you're not, you know, you're not out here for your duty or you're not out here. You're out here trying to bury your pain. And mm-hmm. she gets that. Um, so I, I think that's a really strong point, though, to bring up, you know, the, the, the feelings that he displays in front of other people. What do you, So what do you think? OK, so you brought up Fields. What I'm, I'm trying to go back in my mind into the film, um, which I just watched last night to refresh myself, of course. But what his how he presents himself in front of Fields um is i mean she's in the movie so briefly but he yeah. does present himself very much the you know got it all together you know nothing no problem you know blah 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 type of spy i'm all, i'm all about duty he doesn't he's not vulnerable to her at all no in fact he's a little uh he wants to show off a little bit mm-hmm. you know um fields fields is sent specifically to stop bond from interfering in what's going on in Bolivia. Mm-hmm. He and Mathis first encounter her at the entrance of the Bolivian airport. Like, look, you need to get back. I'm, I'm instructed to tell you that you need to get back on a plane and go to London. Right. You know, if that doesn't happen, I'm going to arrest you, you know? Right. And he basically is like, whatever, <laughs> right? <laughs> whatever. He homie. He's very, he's very blase with her. You know, and very, yeah. like you said, it's, that arrogance is, uh, I think it does kind of cross over into showing off um, when they go to the hotel and he, 
you know, throws the throws the key away and can you help me look for some stationery? Right. It's oh, more but about the- it's not just about ha- wanting to sleep with her. I think it is a little bit of, you know, showing off, you know, swagger. Yes, yeah, it's it. it's full on flex because mm-hmm. if you remember Fields first takes them to a just a hotel in mm, right, that right. that that is supposed to be commensurate with their cover as missionaries or whatever the whatever the hell they're supposed teachers. to be workers or teachers whatever. on sabbatical yeah, teachers yeah. teachers on sabbatical <laughs> and Bond is like look I'm not staying here right and she's like you know you need it. he's like I'm well, staying here and they go to, they go over. to the yeah <laughs> take me to the nearest grand hotel that you that that you got here <laughs> right right <laughs> and right. we're gonna get a sweep you so, know and. So I think it's interesting, though, that, like you said, this is probably um, a month or so after Vesper's death, because in Casino Royale, Vesper dies. um, And then we know that at that point is when Bond starts looking for Mr. White. And you get the sense that it's been a little bit of time has passed um, between, you know, Vesper's death and him finding, you know, Mr. White at the end of Mm -hmm. the the end of the Casino Royale. Mm -hmm. I do like the fact that even though this movie shows us a a bond that is more he's colder because of what he's gone through um and he's not the because in casino royale you did get a kind of novice feeling with him in certain elements you know you and it was intentional you got the feeling that he was as you know m said a blunt instrument and he's you know he's not dispassionate enough you know and then it's like within Quantum of Solace, he kind of goes, <laughs> he goes to the opposite end of the spectrum. He becomes too dispassionate and too cold and too just, you know, mm-hmm. the the killing, you know, the, the, everything is about vengeance right now. Right. Um, but I did appreciate the fact that in a lot of, I know a lot of Bond fans did not like this, but we didn't get a gun barrel at the beginning of this movie. We didn't get the, him walking, pointing, you know, doing the, the we didn't get, you get that it at the, the you get it at the end. We get at the, I should say, we didn't get this at the beginning of the movie. We got it at the end of the movie. And I like that because to your point earlier, it shows Quantum of Solace or end of Casino Royale was him becoming, you know, Bond to an extent. You know, he mm-hmm. became Bond. The music played. He said the line, but he had to go through what he went through in Quantum of Solace before he could actually become the James Bond that we see in, you know, right. Golden Eye or, or, or uh, Living Daylights or whatever, you know, name your, he went through, you know, the fact of, okay, the vengeance, he went through all of that. And then at the end of the film, you know, he tells him, you know, congratulations, you were right. And she says about what? And he says about Vesper. So he, mm-hmm. he, he was able to admit, you know, to her that he wasn't, dispassionate he wasn't you know this cold-hearted bastard mm-hmm. he the whole he admits to her yeah you were right what you said back in italy about vesper and how important she is to me you were right yeah. Yeah. and then she says okay we need you back you know we need you back on in the service and he says i never left and when he mm-hmm. drops vespers that that medallion or whatever that necklace um that was him becoming the james bond that we get you know in all these other films yeah. and so i thought it was appropriate that the the gun barrel was played then at the end um i know a lot of people didn't like that but i thought that was i thought that was a good move well i did too i think that without the barrel at the at the front it punctuates this being the immediate continuation of casino royale mm. this mm. long you know what i mean right. and that if the you know the gun barrel to me the gun barrel sets up a scenario sets up a new scenario this is this is a clean sheet of paper here's mm, a new story good point so i think yeah. without that you have that you know that those budding the end of casino start a quantum mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. now what did you think about 
What'd you think about the villains? What'd you think about Dominic Green? Well, okay, one, one really, really quick, one more very almost supercilious note on um, Bond. I thought this was probably the film out of all the films we've we've had, the Craig films we've had. He looked his best in this film. Mm. I think this everything from you know um, he his, he leaned down from Casino Royale. He was leaner, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. actually also makes sense because when you're going through heartache and pain, what's one thing you stop doing? You stop eating. You know, what I'm saying you stop eating, you get you get you get lean. So obviously, mm-hmm. you know, he worked out. You know, Craig worked out and made himself you know leaner for this film. Um, but I thought that was good. And his clothing, man, his, he, he looked the best. I oh, think, in this yeah. Movie. His, his now, suits didn't fit him too tight like they did in Skyfall. Um, he looked he just looked the, as, as some cats say, he looked the business. You know, there was a great outfit that he wore on the boat ride when he goes to see Mathis. Yeah. He first goes to see sweater, Mathis. Yeah. He's got the, the Navy yeah. sweater vest. With the, button up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. the khakis that, that look was right. Yeah. Right. So he looked, I think he looked, even when he, you know, at the end of the film with the black jacket, you know, he just, he looked good in this film. So that that's just one more note I want to throw. I liked how Bond looked in this movie. You know what? And I know I'm trying to, you know, move on to the villains, but there, there are two things that kind of, they're niggles. Mm-hmm. One was intentional. Say that word. Say that word, uh, say that word correctly. <laughs> Be careful when you say that word, bro. <laughs> Might be getting off the wrong impression. Cause Absolutely. I, I don't think there's none of them in this movie. <laughs> there were a couple of things <laughs> that I think were intentional, but I I don't know. Maybe they were just weren't executed the way to my liking. But one was the death of Fields. And it was really a, a, an homage to the film Goldfinger. In how uh, Ajab kills, uh, and I forget her name, but kills um, a woman oh in, toward her the name, beginning of the film yeah, that just Bond left is. My mind when you said that, um, oh, okay, I'm not going to dwell on it, but yeah, I know you're talking about, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, um, iconic scene, yeah, it's a really iconic scene in Goldfinger. The woman she's she's covered, she's painted completely in gold, mm-hmm. and it's to send a message to Bond. And in Quantum of Solace. Fields, whom hours earlier he, you know, had, you know, a relationship with, she's found dead, covered in oil, black oil. Um, and it is a clear, mm-hmm. it is a clear homage. Um, it just, for some reason, it just, it felt, I don't know how you say it, you know, on the nose, or it just felt so forced. obvious. Yeah, forced, mm-hmm. I guess, I guess. And mm-hmm. the other thing was, and this is actually, to me, it's a little less obvious, but at the um, the the scene where Bond reveals for himself at the Tosca performance at the at the stadium performance of the opera Tosca, mm-hmm. where Bond identifies several members of Quantum having this meeting in the midst of you know a couple thousand people in a stadium, and he's pursued and. At a certain point, he and his pursuer are on a roof. They're fighting a little bit. And Bond has the upper hand by having dude teetering off the edge of this roof. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, at a point, Bond breaks free and the dude falls to his right. death. Right. Right. Ultimately to his death. Well, it's the same kind of sequence that happens Again, in Spy Who Loved Me, 
in Cairo <laughs> on a roof, you know, where dude is holding on to Bond's tie and Roger Moore breaks the bond, dude falls. And I I guess I I don't know. I I think for me it it just it didn't it just didn't feel right. Mm-hmm. And it it felt it you know what it meant? It made it made me feel like they ran out of ideas because there <laughs> so was a writer's strike yeah. and we got to do something. So let's do this so that we can get, you know, from this point to the next point. Mm-hmm. All right. I'm yeah. Done. I mean, it should be noted that it should be noted that during the writer's strike, you know, that happened during, you know, right. Like you said, during the production of this movie, even though the script I think was written, you know, I think from what I've seen, it was written, maybe finished maybe hours before the writing strike. And it should be mm-hmm. noted also, it was Paul Hag- Haggis, uh, Neil Purvis and Robert Wade, who did this script. They were, they were the same writers um, team. I think that did a uh, Casino Royale um, Purvis and Wade had done a lot of, have done a lot of Bond films, but the addition with Paul Haggis, I think that was the same trio that um, tackled Casino Royale. But yeah, mm-hmm. so, that film, you know, the script was written and done, but, you know, obviously as you're filming a movie, things change and scripts mm-hmm. are rewritten, especially a script like Bond. It goes through many, many rewrites, you know, because you got a lot of people giving input. Things change. So when there's a writer's strike, OK, the writers can't work on it anymore. So guess who fell who it fell to to, you know, to do some rewriting and add some dialogue here and there. It was from what I've read and, and heard. It was, you know, uh, Daniel Craig. And the director, Mark Forrester, mm-hmm. um, or Forrester. So y- you get awkward moments. You can tell there's, I mean, there's certain points like during the boat chase with, um, you know, mm-hmm. uh, uh, Bond and Camille, there's just some really awkward dialogue that doesn't really make sense. Um, there's several times in this, this movie where either dialogue or action, you can kind of tell that was probably written by, you know, non-writers. Um, so maybe that was, maybe that was it. Maybe, you know, that was, yeah. they picked that homage to Spy or Love Me. Cause like you said, they, they needed some way to get to, you know, to keep the action moving. Um, so yeah, I, I'm with you. That, that moment didn't really stick out to me, but there are other moments that stuck out to me. So you asked me, okay, moving on to women versus villain. You asked me about the villains, how, how I feel, how I feel about the villains of this, this film. Um, hmm, not very good. I think that <laughs> great. That's <laughs> what I wanted to hear you say. <laughs> not very good. I think that, and, and this is this is this is uh, this is interesting to me because obviously Dominic Green is not a. He's the main villain in this movie. Even though mm-hmm. you could, you could argue Quantum is actually the main villain the villain in this movie. This organization, mm-hmm. um, but the face of that in this film largely is Dominic Green. And Dominic Green is not really a memorable villain. There's nothing really that he does. He he he's unhinged. You know, you get that from the get go. Um, yeah. I think Matthew Almerick is the actor's name. His yeah. his his portrayal of the character I thought was very good. Um, he made me. He's he had a creepy vibe to him and mm-hmm. um, unhinged. Yeah, you had the feeling that he was he was in fact dangerous. Yeah, and that's that's saying a lot for somebody. He's probably he looks like he's like five six or something, and you know he doesn't. He's not a big guy. Um, but his, that, that, that feeling, that ominous feel that came off of him, um, that, that's, that owes a lot or that says a lot about the performance. So I didn't hate Dominic Green's character. I didn't hate him as a villain. I think a lot of people have, mm-hmm. you know, over the years, we've really talked negatively about him. I didn't hate it. I just didn't think he was very, he wasn't, he, he wasn't a good follow-up to Le Chiffre. You know, Le Chiffre was like one of those villains, like you, okay, you're going to remember this guy. 
But then what made it worse to me, Arthur, is that in the midst of this, you had what, in my opinion, I've said this before, I'm going to stand on this hill alone if I have to. <laughs> I've, but in my opinion, Mr. White should have become the new Blofeld. Yeah, and I'm with you. In Casino Royale, he was perfect. You know, you saw him kind of like he was this mysterious character, um, you know, in the back and kind of in the background. And then he shows up, you know, unexpectedly kills the chief. Right. Yeah. And then, you know, Bond wounds him at the end. I feel like once you get to Quantum, I loved how in the scene, you know, when they have him captured and he's looking at them saying, you know, you don't even know who we are. And we have people everywhere. I like, I love that scene that, that mm-hmm. I love that, that, that dialogue. We have people everywhere. Then boom, Mitchell just starts shooting up the room. Right. But also one of my favorite lines of dialogue ever in this, you know, is when villain dialogue is when, um, at Tosca, you brought up Tosca before the opera performance, mm-hmm. that scene mm-hmm. when everybody, all the quantum people are realizing, okay, bond is in the room with them in this, in this, this, uh, this performance hall, they all start standing up to leave. The only person smart enough to just sit and stay where he is and just kind of casually take out his earpiece and not make any, you know, not, not cause any attention to be drawn to himself is Mr. White. Yep. That was cool enough. And then he looks at who I assume was his wife or his companion. He looks at her and says, very kind of like snarky to the side, you know, looking at all these people leaving. He's saying, well, you know, I guess Tosca isn't for everyone. And I was like, mm-hmm. oh, that's that mm-hmm. should have been the villain, man. That mm-hmm. I feel like they messed up by one. I think that's the last time we see him in um, yeah. Quantum. We I don't see so him too. again in Quantum. And then also that I think they messed up because by the time you get to Spectre, you see him again. It's clear that they're focusing on, you know, because Eon at that point had gotten and we'll talk about this when we get to the Spectre review. But Eon had gotten the rights back to the Blofeld character so they could use Spectre. They could use Blofeld. And so they kind of pushed Quantum and Mr. White to the side. And I feel like that was a mistake. I really, really like Mr. White. Um, So to circle this all back around to what you originally asked me. I don't like, I think the villain representation in this film isn't that great. And I think it's because they had one villain who was not very memorable. And then the villain that they had who could have been in, incredibly memorable, they kind of squandered him. Yeah, I think that I agree with everything that you said about uh, about Dominic. I think that a better henchman could have served the character <laughs> oh better. man we do we do we even want to talk about that wow who who was that dude <laughs> you know well was, the character's name what? is elvis and uh <laughs> the actor is anatoly top uh top tobman t-a-u-b-m-a-n tobman i hope i'm saying his name correctly um and you know and you kind of he he works as sort of you know my creepy friend hmm but he doesn't work as a henchman. He's 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 not a get it done guy. <laughs> that, but he's positioned as such. That is an excellent description. Exactly. He works as the creepy friend. Like he's almost like the guy. You get the feeling like Green, like him and Green grew up together. Yeah. And for some reason, Green feels like a responsibility to look out for him. Like nobody, because everybody would pick on him or something. And it's like Green is like, yeah, that's you know, just just come and hang with me. You know, just come and hang with me. So he's like, yeah, the creepy friend, but henchman, nah, 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 and yeah, I yeah, I don't, I don't know. And and the thing is too, I mean, in 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 Quantum, Lashif's henchman also didn't 
well, he seemed more like a get it done guy, mm-hmm. but he fundamentally wasn't this outsized, you know, this outsized henchman character like an odd job or Jaws mm-hmm. would be, mm-hmm. right? But, you know, Green's henchman couldn't even get that to, he couldn't <laughs> get that right. Right. You, you got to wonder what was the thinking. I mean, the idea, you know, the kind of villain trope is very, you know, is fundamental bond. You know, it's like part of the DNA. So you have to wonder what when they were putting this movie together. Mm-hmm. Obviously, the Craig era has thrown away a lot of the tropes, you know, and, and purposely so. You know, it's like we're yeah. going to go in a different yeah. direction. But they did, yeah. you know, follow that the, the villain trope within uh, Casino Royale. So you have to wonder... I think it may have, was it Mark Forrester? Was it, you know, Michael G. Wilson? Who was it? Who was it? Barbara Broccoli, who was mm-hmm. kind of like, you know what? We're not going to pay credence to that villain trope in this movie. Um, and we're not going to pay, we're not even going to pay credence to the, to the henchman trope. You know, we're going to just have a bunch of regular dudes, you know? And it's like, yeah, it, it felt lackluster. That, that part did feel very odd, you know? Yeah, I don't think Lashif's guy would have gotten tripped down the stairs <laughs> like terrible, Fields terrible, did to terrible, the other guy. Yeah. And what was funny about it, too, was up until the point that M is chastising Bond, and that's a that's that's not even the strongest word I could possibly use, but mm-hmm. chastising Bond behind the death of Fields, mm-hmm. she reveals, you know, she was she was a she was a desk worker. She mm-hmm. filed papers and i'm thinking to myself damn this dude got tripped down the stairs by you know an admin i'm thinking she's a trained agent (laughs) right (laughs) your guy is weak (laughs) she she yeah yeah that and that scene you know it was played obviously for comedy for comedy effect you know when he falls i think his toupee falls off at the same time yeah toupee falls off but then it was kind of the after effect like okay that's it that it would be okay again like you said if he was the creepy fan and then we had another henchman like we had a hank style character you know that mm, was in there mm-hmm. dave bautista but for that to be your main guy that was that was an odd choice so yeah so what did you okay so speaking of feels what did you think of the bond women in this in this 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 movie um you know overall positively i, I really like the fact that there was no romantic intimate relationship with camille I really appreciated that this was uh, on the scale of misogynistic bond pictures. This was like way at the bottom, you know, (laughs) Um, I do. uh, I I really liked Fields. I I was sorry that she was on screen for such a short time. Um, Mm. I think particularly during the party scenes when they actually were together, you know, that their chemistry was, 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 you know, good. Mm. Um, I liked Camille. She was a little annoying to me only because I couldn't figure out, I guess the dynamic between her and Dominic wasn't defined well enough. Cause my thing is, okay, well, dude, if you really, if you really don't trust this woman, you had two opportunities to throw her off of something, you know, <laughs> the first one, throw her into the river mm-hmm. uh, early in the film and at the party before, um, you know, Fields trips up, you know, weak henchman. He was going to push old girl. He was going to push Green. I'm trying Mm -hmm. to be clear for the audience's sake. Green was going to push her off of the The balcony. balcony. And it's just, 
I but but it's just it was just kind of a weird you know dynamic, mm-hmm. and it also seemed like yeah it also seemed like Green knew that Camille wanted to get to I forget the general's name the one that killed her family. Yeah, my, no, oh god, his name just left my mind. So yeah, yeah, the general. Yeah, he knew because he even said that he's like, you know, I think you slept with me just to get it, just to get to the general. Yeah. Um, then, he, then he gives her to the general and tells her, "Be careful what you ask for." Right, and my thing is, okay, well, whatever your past is with with, with this woman, clearly you don't trust her because in the earlier the film you wanted to have her killed, and now you're actually going to give her to the guy that she actually wants to kill. <laughs> right. It didn't make sense to me. And didn't warn him of that. You know, yeah. I, and then it's go ahead. It's, I was gonna say, you know, for me, Camille is actually one of my favorite Bond women, and mm-hmm. partly because of the reason you said, as far as her being, you know, one of the most not just only not one, not only just one of the most independent, but also one of the more capable um, characters, mm-hmm. uh, women, female characters in the series, in the sense that she, um, not only is she, you know, not only is she, uh, you know, willing to kill and she does make her first kill later, you know, at the end of the film. Um, but and she, you know, she enacts her, her, her vengeance. Um, but I love the scene when, you know, Bond says to her, well, you, you know, my sources tell me you infiltrated Green's organization by sleeping with him. And she's like, yeah, does that offend you? And he's like, no, not at all. I like the mm-hmm. fact that she's willing to do the same thing Bond would do. You know, that's what Bond would do. He was, he was, and we would all applaud it. Mm-hmm. So why mm-hmm. would we, mm-hmm. it kind of turns the, the onus mm-hmm. on, it turns the camera on the audience. Well, you shouldn't think any less of this woman for her doing the same thing you applaud Bond for doing, Bond for doing. And I like that about right. Camille. I like that, right. that she, I like the fact that she looked at him and said, does that offend you? You know, like, are you about to be judgmental? You know? And he was like, no, 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 I'm, I'm not, not even in the slightest. Mm-hmm. So and I, I do um, I like Olga Olga Karolinko. Um, I think she did an excellent job. Now I will say this though, they they did write her character because she um, Olga in real real life I believe she's Ukrainian or Ukrainian and French I believe. Mm-hmm. They did write her character so that she's in the film she is Bolivian and her mother is Russian. So they they added the you know that element to the character to explain why you know a ukrainian french actress is playing a bolivian character um with the last name montes but i still feel like they could have found you know a woman of color to play that role you know what i'm saying they could have found yeah someone to play. yeah because they what they did was they brought her into the film and i don't know if she just you know spent days in the sun to get tan because if you've seen her in other mm-hmm. films she's not that tan Mm-hmm. Um, so you could argue that she was quote unquote brown faced, you know, and, 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 you know, they, they did that to, br- to make it work. But like I said, they wrote her character to say, okay, she has a Russian mother, you know, to explain why Olga Kirilenko mm-hmm. is playing this Bolivian. But I think mm-hmm. that's, that's, that should be pointed out. Um, but I do, you know, at the end of the day, this, you know, Camille is one of my favorite Bond women. I was hoping that she would return, you know, in a future film, um, future Craig era film. Um, but I, I just, I felt like her character was really strong. I like her introduction. Um, I like, you know, when they kind of join up, I like the plane, you know, the, the, the plane sequence, when I first originally saw the film, I found it very, again, dizzying and I just didn't like it. But as I've watched this film, subsequent viewings, um, I like the byplay between them during that sequence. And I like how they, the action, how they, you know, she gets up from her seat so she can, you know, spot the plane. Um, it just, it, there's a lot of tension in that scene and, and I thought it really worked really well. And, and the chemistry between Bond and Camille was really good. Um, and I love the end sequence when she gets, she gets her revenge all the way up to the point where 
she feels like she's about to die by fire, which is how mm-hmm. her family died. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And she's just like, not like this. And Bond is willing to kill her, you know, before he himself dies. He's willing to kill her just to keep her from having to burn to death and having to, you know, go through that same experience that her family went through or to, you know, to die by smoke inhalation or whatever. Um, so I, I just, I really liked it. And, and then the last scene, you know, where she says to him, I wish I could release you, you know, from your prison or whatever, but your mm-hmm. prison isn't mm-hmm. there. And then they kiss and she leaves, you know, I'm with you. I'm glad that they didn't consummate their relationship. Um, I feel like it was, it was better left the way it was. Um, fields. I like fields, um, mm-hmm. strawberry fields. They didn't use strawberry in the, uh, yeah. in the movie, but that's strawberry fields. That's her name. Um, I, or her code name probably, but I, I think that the one thing they could have done better, and this is again, a writing issue. It was very quick, you know, how she turned from, I'm going to throw you in jail if you don't do what I say mm-hmm. to let me help you find some stationery. And by the way, let's have sex. I think that right. that felt a little bit old school bond like that. You got away with a lot of that in the Connery area, like Con- mm-hmm. Connery era. Um, and Goldfinger, you mentioned Goldfinger, you know, he meets, mm-hmm. you know, I think is it Tilly, Tilly Masterson or because it was sisters in that film. And yeah, it was the Tilly. one that got, well, I can't remember the one who got covered in gold. That may have been Tilly. Then her sister um, shows up later. But anyway, his, his, the, you know, the, yeah, their relationship, their relationship begins with him basically walking up, you know, she's, you know, on that balcony overlooking the card game. He walks up. And within, you know, I don't know, 40 to 50 seconds, you know, he's tonguing her down and they're, you know, they're going back into the room. I'm like mm-hmm. that this the scene with Strawberry Fields and Quantum kind of mirrored that, you know, it was like, how did that happen so quickly? So I think they could have done that better. But I'm with you. I like Fields. Um, and I, I, if I had to say women versus villain in this 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 movie, I'm going with the Bond women. I like I enjoy the Bond yeah. women more than I yeah. enjoy the Bond villains. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, good point about Fields, because, I mean, the first thing you see is when you first see her, this woman's in when in what calf high boots mm-hmm. or even knee high boots and a raincoat. Yeah, it, I was like, is she, is she naked under that coat or Thank what is you. the person? I didn't understand that <laughs> outfit choice. Why? Why they dressed her like that? Because it was like she gave like the sense that she was naked under there. But of course, she wasn't. But it was like, why? Right. Why is she dressed like that? You know what I'm saying? I thought that was odd. All right. Any any last words? Any last words before we get to Q and A? Any last words on this film? Yeah. Um, of course. I think this would have been. Well, let me say this. Um, after seeing it, you know, years later, I have a much better uh, feeling about Quantum of Solace. I enjoyed it much, much, much better than the first mm-hmm. time that I saw it. Um, yes, it it had to be completed in the midst of a writer strike, and there's some glaring errors, you know, in that. So mm-hmm. could it have been? a better movie um uh, we could do a i think we could do a, a an hour-long what if just on that because <laughs> the consensus would be yeah you know they probably mm-hmm. could because mm-hmm. um, they could have thrown in another 20 minutes and we would have worked out some things mm-hmm. um one thing i did like was the scene between bond and mathis where mathis is dying mm-hmm. and i think that beyond just the dialogue um, I think that there was an understanding between the two characters who lived the same kind of life, you know, mm-hmm. um, what punctuated that for me was when Bond asked Mathis, is Mathis just a, a, a code name? Mm-hmm. 
And Mathis says yes, but James doesn't ask him what his real name is. Right. So it's almost like, you know, it, it, he, you know, Mathis, Mathis should expire on his, you know, on his own terms, you know, still mm-hmm. being himself instead mm-hmm. of, I don't want to know who you are. It's like, let's not, let's not reveal the masks, what's under right. the mask. You know what I mean? Right. Um, if, you, if you want to, if you want to tell me fine, but I'm not going to ask you that. Yeah. 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 And I, I, I think that also bond putting him in a dumpster, you know, taking some money to try to make it look like a botched robbery. You, you know, it's like, it was all part of the caricature of it. Mm-hmm. And it was some kind of understood thing that on the surface seemed, um, seemed callous and cold, but in reality was, you know, based, based on protocol, based on an understanding of we know what it is that we do and these are what the mm. consequences are. That's a really interesting way of looking at it because I have to be honest, I, 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 that Mathis's death scene in and of itself, I had no problem with, but I always did have a problem with him throwing him in the dumpster. Like I always yeah. felt like why, why didn't they just leave him on the street? But that's a really mm-hmm. interesting way. I'm going to think about that. That's I've never thought of it in those terms. So that's, that's interesting to me. So I, I think my, okay. So my last, did you have any other thoughts on? Nope. That was it. Okay. I was wondering. So my, oh, shout out. Oh, you know, go ahead. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Go ahead. I'm just going to say I, Felix, Felix. Oh yeah. Yeah. Felix is great. <laughs> Felix is great in this movie. Yeah. The scene between yeah. Felix and Bond in the bar. Mm-hmm. How much time yeah. do I have? About 30 seconds. Right. <laughs> right. I, I didn't come alone, motherfucker. I brought my people too. Yeah. I, yeah. Felix is great. And again, it, it hurts, you know, that we don't see him for, you know, two more movies. We're going to get him back in no time to die, thankfully. Yeah. But no Felix for the next two movies. So yeah, Felix was great. He had a lot of screen time in this film. Not a lot, but I'm saying we saw him, you know. We yeah, saw he, him was, uh, he was he was a presence. And, and, yeah. Yeah, well, we probably saw him about the same as Mount Tommy Casino, but he had a strong presence. Um, so I, I dug that. Um, so, all right, my my last thoughts on this, my last words on this film, I have to be honest, I think you know this about me, but I've said, because I've said this before, but this is absolutely one of my favorite Bond films. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the reason, and even though, and I have no illusions about this film, that it is incredibly flawed. Like, it, there's, yeah. the, the editing at times is god awful like it's it's just like why would you edit this the chase scene between bond and um uh what's my man's name at the beginning of the film the uh matthews is it matthews uh the the agent no mitchell i know what you mean mitchell mitchell Mitchell. Mitchell. yeah so the chase scene between bond and mitchell is just edited in such a way and there's an artistic you know forrester was you know he, he famously was very kind of open about the fact of the artistic, you know, things that he was trying to accomplish with the, with this mm-hmm. film, the themes and the motifs and this, that, and the third. And they do feel at times like they just get in way of the storytelling, you know, um, the Tosca scene, you know, the, the chase scene after when Bond is leaving the, um, the opera house and just, it's just a lot of moments in this film where it's like, yeah, you kind of effed that up. You know, if, if you would have done it this way, it would have been so much better, you know, but yet and still this movie is very, dear and close and dear and and near and dear to my heart for some reason and i've seen this movie more than i've seen any of the other craig era films including casino royale you know i've seen this movie more than i've seen and i think i don't know if it's the tone of this Mm -hmm. film i don't know if it's because let's say this we've we've said a lot of negative things about it it's beautifully shot there are some beautiful scenes in this movie um the scenes where uh bond and camille are leaving the uh 
um, the dam and they're walking, you know, through kind of like that desert area um, before they get on the bus. And even after they get on the bus is some beautiful scenery, some beautiful cinematography. David Arnold's score, like I said before, is just is phenomenal. Um, so I think that there's just there's a flawed nature to this film that almost like, you know, let's it's, it's like if you have a friend or a child or whatever that has a whole lot of serious flaws, but there's just mm-hmm. something indelible that you just you love about this person. You know, it's just something about that movie that I really, really love. And um, yeah, I, I found very few people who share my opinion. Um, I do think that there's I've seen online there's kind of like a resurgence of, uh, you know, love for Quantum Masala's kind of mm-hmm. like a, um, a, a underground like cult movement to be like, nah, it's not such a terrible movie. Um, I kind of like the fact, Arthur, that it's very short. It kind of gets in and gets mm-hmm. out. You know, it's like a jab mm-hmm. almost. Um, I love the fact that we see that journey, that arc from, you know, the beginning of the film for Bond, where like we talked about before, where he's in denial of his feelings, where he's, you know, the, the great scene on the plane with Mathis when he's drinking all those Vespers. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he's 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 not even being honest with Mathis about what he's going through, but it's just all over his face. Mm-hmm. Everything about him is just this brooding, you know, energy. Mm-hmm. Um, and then to get to the end of the film where he tells him, you know, again, that you were right. You know, it was all about Vesper. I just I thought it was really well done in that regard, man. And it made up sometimes for a lot of the things during the movie that weren't well done. Um, but, yeah, that's this. My last thoughts on this movie is I have to admit uh, this. This movie is, you know, near and dear to my heart. And um, even I, I freely admit, you know, the flaws. And if somebody says talks negatively about the film, I really can't argue with them. Um, yeah. but it is one of my, one of my favorite Bond films of all time. Yeah. I think for you, the parts are much greater than the sum. It's always. Been yeah. Hard. Yeah. Yeah. And I saw this, I, I, you know, I remember man, when this, and this guy, this makes me miss movies, movie theater so much, mm-hmm. but this, when it was in the theater, I would just go and see this movie. If I didn't have anything else to do, just like on a Tuesday night, you know, I would just go yeah. see quantum Solace. You know what I'm saying? I saw this movie in the theater. I don't know how many times, but, mm-hmm. um, it just, you know, it really, it really hit me in a, a very strong emotional place. And I just, uh, I think that it does a good job. And, and I, I think there is a resurgence going on with it. And I think that maybe in, you know, five years, 10 years from now, people re- will view this movie in a very different light. Well, I'm looking forward to our next, uh, to our next show where we review Skyfall. Cause right now I like Skyfall casino casino is my favorite. And then my number two Skyfall. And then mm. now quantum is my number three. So I want to see if, having quantum so fresh now how that mm. if that reshuffles mm. that'll be interesting cool so all right listen before we wrap up the show mm. um and we you know we want to launch into our bonus section which like we talked about at the beginning of the show um we're calling this q a which is aka question and arthur so this is the way this works. And we're going, I'm going to change it a little bit, Arthur. Not a lot, but I'm going to change it a little bit. Mm-hmm. So basically the way it works is that I'm going to ask Arthur three trivia questions based on the film, in this case, Quantum of Silas. Um, Arthur gets 25 points. 25 is in, uh, you know, homage or reference or honor of the 25th Bond film coming out, No Time to Die. So Arthur gets 25 points for each question he answers correctly. Um, listeners, you should play along as well. Um, keep track of your score. Don't cheat, but just keep track of your score. And then after we review Spectre, 
Um, you can tally up your scores from all of the episodes from the Casino Royale review we did from this one, from Skyfall coming up and then from Spectre itself. So after we do those, you tally up your scores and you can like, you know, boast or about how much of a Bond fan you are or feel like you need to really go back and watch the movies again because you weren't paying attention the first time. Um, so how we're going to do it differently, though, Arthur, is that, you know, before I would ask the question and then you would answer um, and then we move mm. on to the next question. I'm going to go through all the questions this time, basically to give not only give you time to think about them, <clears throat> excuse me, but also to give, you know, listeners time to think about them. And then we'll go back, restate them, and then you get your chance to answer them. All right, How's cool. that sound? Cool. All right. So Quantum Asylum Q&A question in Arthur. First one. Um, during Quantum Solace at the beginning of the film, Bond travels to Haiti uh, to pursue a lead named Edmund Slate. Um, and he, he has all he basically has is a hotel and, a, you know, a name. Question to you is what Haitian revolutionary is Slate's hotel named after? I repeat that again. What Haitian revolutionary is Edmund Slate's hotel named after? That's question number one. Question number two. Um, although he's a spy throughout the James Bond series, Bond constantly and famously uses his own name. Quantum of Solace includes a rare scene when Bond uses an alias. Name the scene. And you get bonus points if you can actually give the alias. You know, if you can tell me what the alias is. I repeat the question. Although he's a spy throughout the James Bond series, Bond constantly uses his own name. Quantum of Solace includes a rare scene where Bond uses an alias. Name the scene. Bonus points if you can give me the name of the alias. All right, the third and final Q&A for Quantum of Solace in this episode of 007 and Counting. At the end of the film, Bond shows up in Russia to confront Vesper's ex. Now, Vesper's ex is apparently running the same blackmail scheme that he ran on Vesper on a new woman. The question is, which country's intelligence service does this new woman work for? I'll repeat the question. At the end of the film, Bond shows up in Russia to confront Vesper's ex. Vesper's ex-boyfriend is apparently running the same blackmail scheme that he ran on Vesper on a new woman. Which country's intelligence service does that woman work for? All right. Um, pencils down. <laughs> yep. So, all right. So we're going to go back to question one and get, see, see, uh, see how Arthur's going to do on this, um, in this episode. So, Question one was Bond travels to Haiti to pursue a lead named Edmund Slate. What Arthur Haitian revolutionary is Slate's hotel named after? Toussaint Louverture. That is absolutely wrong. Ah! <laughs> is it Desilies? It's Desilene. Ah, <laughs> uh, so. Listeners, if you got um, Desaline or I forget Desaline's full name, um, I think it's Jock, Jockess. Uh, but anyway, if you got Desaline, then you are absolutely correct. If you guessed Toussaint Leovator, you are wrong. 
although he was a great Haitian revolutionary. If you know nothing about the Haitian revolution, you need to do some reading. Um, and please do. It's a, it's, it's a, it's an important part of history that you should know about. Um, but yes, it was Dessaline. So yeah, no points for you, Arthur. Mm. All right. Let's see how you do on the next question. Although he's a spy throughout the James Bond series, Bond constantly uses his own name. Quantum of Solace includes a rare scene when Bond uses an alias. Name the scene and bonus points if you can actually give the alias. The scene is when he when he and Fields and Mathis are checking into the real Grand Hotel, to the Grand Hotel. Now I have a decision to make. I'm not going to give you any points for that. I don't think I, I may not give you any points for that. That's not correct. But I do see why you went there, because he does say we are, you know, teachers on sabbatical. You know, he kind of jokingly says to the guy, because that's what Field said at the other hotel or told him, you know, this fits our cover. Um, so I do see why you said that, although that is not correct. Okay. Um, no points. No points. So what happens is the the scene and 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 listeners, if you guessed, uh, you know, the same thing that Arthur guessed, um, that's not correct. So the scene, this kind of it's. I don't know. Is this a trick question? I don't think it's a trick question. It's kind of a trick question, but not really. The scene is when Bond on the motorcycle, he's pursuing, he's following Camille. He follows her to where Dominic Green on that, that wharf or wherever the docks, he follows her there. Then as she goes in, Bond can, you know, rolls up to the brother at the, at the guard and hands him a card and says, Mm -hmm. you know, tell her these, well, the card is a universal universal exports card, you know, which right. is of course the cover for MI6. If you look, the card has his alias on it. The card has an alias name on it. It doesn't say James Bond. It says whatever the cover name that he's using as Universal Experts. Okay. That's that's what he's that's who he's portraying himself as. Kind of a trick question, but listen, you asked for it because you you wanted harder questions, so you you asked for it. Um, So listeners, if you got, you know, anything close to the moment Bond hands the card to the guard uh, outside Green's warehouse, um, the Universal Exports card, then you get 25 points. If you guess the name, which was R. Sterling. Um, and you would have to freeze frame and like zoom in to actually see it because, you know, the car, the guy holds the card up. Um, actually, what's his name? Elvis. He comes over and holds the card up. Um, so if you got the name, you get an extra 25 points. Um, but yeah, but if you guessed anything else, then you get zero points. All right, Arthur, you got one more chance to redeem yourself, bro. Mm. These are better questions, by the way. Thank you. Um, at the end of the film, Bond shows up in Russia to confront Vesper's ex-boyfriend. Vesper's ex is apparently running the same blackmail scheme on a new woman that he ran on Vesper, which was in, on, be, on behalf of Quantum, by the way. <clears throat> which country's intelligence service does this new woman work for? And I'll, re- I'll even read it for you again if you want me to. No, 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 no. Um, Canada, the Canadian intelligence oh i'm sorry arthur but you're correct (laughs) (laughs) 25 points for arthur damn i 
thought I thought I was going I thought I was going to shut you out on this one. Yeah. So um yeah, so we we know that by the end of the film we know that Vesper's ex-boyfriend as a part of the quantum organization is basically running these schemes on women, you know, and getting, you know, women who work for intelligence services um as they fall in love for him with him then he is you know taken by quantum and then quantum blackmails the women to get him back right. or whatever so right yeah that woman it was briefly said but he you know bond asked her or bond says to her you know you work for i forgot i forgot the exact words but you know you do blah 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 for canadian intelligence don't you mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um and he says you know go tell your people that they have a leak um and he lets her go um ostensibly he lets her go i'm sure she was snatched up outside by him and her people um very good bro you came back and redeemed yourself Thank right you. at the end all right but okay but still though the first two because you got a perfect 75 on i mm-hmm. think on casino royale uh right now i'm four so. for six right so you got 100 points um but you missing you short 50 but we'll see we'll see how you do in in, in the skyfall joint that was fun. I'm I'm like I'm like you. I'm looking forward to to Skyfall though because mm-hmm. in contrast to Quantum, Skyfall was that film that everybody loved, even the non Bond heads. Yeah. Um, but I think that I may there's some there's some things with Skyfall that we're gonna talk we're gonna get into. We're gonna mm-hmm. get into in the next episode. So cool. I look forward to it. All right. This has All been right. Mad Unreal. We appreciate you listening with us uh as we have concluded episode four of our multi-part 007 and counting series. Yeah. So we've only got three left and then and we got three left and damn it. Then we're going to the theater to see no time to die. And then we're, we've got two left. Then we're going to the theater to see no time to die. And then we're going to record. And all that is going to happen in 2020, Arthur, right? <laughs> Peace. <laughs> Keep it unreal. real.